welcome once again into the soccer OG. That's me, Max Brenos. This is episode 15. We are back from Denver, thankfully in one piece, and we are equipped with the information that this podcast is going places. Record number of downloads for me. Thank you for everyone who tuned in to our special Denver show from the parking lot at Empower Field at Mile High. We also had a record number of subscribers and views on the Soccer OG YouTube show. Check that out under my name, Max Bretos. Thank you for the support. This is the time of the episode where I remind you to subscribe, rate, and review. Leave a review. Even if you have a criticism, let us know where we have to get better. We certainly appreciate the feedback. It means everything in the podcast world. We are going to do a hard shift today as we turn our focus from the Nations League and the U.S. men's national team to the Euros, a competition very near and dear to me. Everything really is near and dear to me because I love this stuff. And why it really is the most competitive, tightly packed world stage competition there is. My good friend, Taylor Twelman of ESPN, who will be covering this tournament in every which way, will join me to discuss a little U.S. men's national team, and then we'll lock in to see what to expect from the Euros that will be played all over Europe. Should be a good one. Now, again, subscribe, rate, and review, but let's get started with the show. Vamos! are back thanks for joining us my goodness we're well into the month of june and uh, this sport is going to be bearing a lot of fruit that tree outside if it's a soccer tree you're gonna have a lot of fruit coming off of it so you're gonna have to not only be able to eat it you're gonna have to make a few pies and put them away for a rainy day if you know what i mean this is the soccer og great to have you with us you know, I took a, a shot. I said, maybe I go to Denver. I didn't know it was going to be a USA-Mexico final. You obviously have to book your flight and hotel well in advance. I went there. What a wonderful city. As I mentioned on the Soccer OG podcast from there, Denver is this gateway to this amazing place known as Colorado. So you land, a lot to do. Denver is, I mean, it's been gentrified, which is good and bad because, you know, a lot of people that live there, Sometimes can't live there, but they've around the stadium, which was always a rough area, and generally stadiums are, it's improved incredibly. There's a green belt, there's bikes, there's pedestrians. It's just good energy and atmosphere. There's new residences. And getting back to my point in Denver, you go, you get a car, and do this. If you live live in the United States and you haven't done this, get in a car, start driving. You can go to Vail. Summer or winter, although I prefer winter sometimes, although it'd be harder to drive those roads. Bring your skis, a couple hours to Vail, four hours to Aspen. If you're really ambitious, you go across the the Continental Divide, which is like the highest point in the country, I believe. You may have to bring a gas mask. Not a gas mask, an oxygen mask. Don't bring a gas mask. Bring an oxygen mask. And then if you really feel ambitious, head on to Telluride, the best little town in America. I kid you not. It's a longer drive, but the thing about driving in Colorado, that's part of the adventure. Just driving in those roads and looking around, not that I did it this time, but I've done it in the past, it's unbelievable. You could just drive and come back, and you'll have a great trip. The drive is the trip, because you, you know, I've driven through Florida, I've driven through Arkansas, and when you're driving, <laughs> when you're driving around states like that, all due respect, I'm from Florida, I can say this, 
you get your, your eyes get very heavy because you're seeing the same thing. It's flat, flat, flat. When you see mountains and topography, it's a different ride altogether. It keeps you awake. It's like having a big coffee by your side. So just going to say that a little bit. Check it out. I hope Denver gets a World Cup bid because I think tourists from around the world will freak out the beauty, the splendor of that state. As I was mentioning, a lot going on, and we're going to have Taylor Twelman joining me. And Taylor, <laughs> Taylor and I go ways back, and I take all the credit for his success. I kind of built him, molded him. But he's a good listener, and I'm, you know, it's you're very proud about what he's become. He's really become the preeminent voice, American voice in our country. Uh, you know, he has the ear of everyone at ESPN. He breaks through walls at ESPN. And, you know, we talk about it because I did that in soccer. I, I went to ESPN. I became a sports center anchor. I wanted to do sports center and and soccer, but sometimes you could only do one at a time. And he's doing that now. And you no, know, all these years covering sports, you'd see. You know, for instance, Mike Tirico, he would be covering baseball and then basketball and then football and then soccer. You go, you cover soccer. I go, why can't we cover other sports? So I like to give myself a little credit for breaking down some of those barriers, which are not completely broke down. Taylor's doing a great job of knocking down some of those rocks still, which uh, will open the door for others. So you're welcome. So we're going to talk about the Euros, an incredible competition. And that's in the business end as we go mano y mano. And then in stoppage time, I'll give you some of my memories and what makes the Euros so compelling. And we'll, we'll find out those historically significant moments that have built it, certainly from an American perspective where this was a competition you couldn't even see. You had to dig hard to find out it existed. And then when it did, it was on pay-per-view. And now ESPN does an amazing job with it. And it's all there at your fingertips. Before we get... Into the Euros, a few things to obviously discuss. The Nations League, and I'm recording this before the USA plays Costa Rica, so they'll wrap up their duty on uh, the international level. Uh, A lot to take away from what happened in Denver, on and off the fields, on the fields, stock rising for so many American players, and now they will reconvene for the Gold Cup. Not this group, maybe a crossover or two, but then they will see themselves back in September for the World Cup qualifying. And that World Cup qualifying taking shape in CONCACAF. So the big news, I certainly is the big news, because Trinidad and Tobago, a team that's made the World Cup from CONCACAF, knocked out of qualifying in a group they were expected to win to advance to the next stage to hopefully join the other seven teams in the final qualifying stage, which would include USA, Mexico, Costa Rica, Honduras, Who am I missing? Jamaica and three other teams. St. Kitts and Navis. And I believe that's how you say it. And the reason I know is because I've been there. Wins that group. So they move on to the next stage. And if they can get by that next stage, which why not? They would go into the final eight. Tiny St. Kitts and Navis. So about 15, 20 years ago. Oh boy. Oh boy. I, I, I wanted to take time off. I didn't know where to go. I didn't have a companion. So I had American Miles, and they flew to St. Kitts. So I went there by myself for a few days just to go around. I got a little scooter, and I went around the island. And then my story about that, so St. Kitts is the main island. Navis is uh, this tropical paradise uh, jungle that you go there. It's tiny, but it, it's like you're going off the beaten path. No real signs of civilization. So I was there for three days, 
I did the side. I went to some cricket matches there. I befriended some people by day two. They took me to a casino. And that was the one night I kind of got after it. You know, had some drinks. So we stayed up late, went to bed. And there's a ferry that goes from St. Kitts to Navis. And you got to get on it at like 8 a.m. So I get back to the hotel. I sleep through my alarm. And I miss the ferry. And now I have this horrific story that I'm sharing with you that I've gone to St. Kitts and Navis and I didn't go to Navis. I wish I didn't share that, but it's the truth. I'm an open book, folks. That's the that's what you get here. I'm not hiding anything. I went to St. Kitts and Navis and I didn't go to Navis. What kind of buffoon does that? Everyone says, every, if, you, <laughs> if you ever say you're going to St. Kitts and Navis, the first thing someone would say Make sure you go to Navis. I didn't because I was overserved at the casino the night before. The only night I went out. That's bad timing. That's part and parcel of my, my whole life sometimes. So that was happening. And um, you also had the Canadian story. They get by Suriname. Jonathan David, or as we heard from George Metellus on the soccer OG, Jonathan David from his Haitian roots, 15 goals and 14 internationals for Canada. We keep heaping praise on Alfonso Davies as we should for this incredible Canadian breakthrough. This guy's, what, 21? And he's been remarkable. Canada is a scary proposition for teams like the United States. If Canada makes it to the end, which I think they should, they don't have a lot of depth, but they have quality in their first 15 guys. I mean, they had like Cyril Laren, uh, Mark Anthony K, guys coming off the bench that were good. Canada is a team that could really prop up this region. You have Mexico, USA. We never underestimate Honduras, Costa Rica, and Panama, although Panama is, you know, they're going to move on, but they're going to have a tough spell. El Salvador is in there. Canada is the one with these big European-based players that has a chance to break through. So we look forward to seeing that. South American qualifiers, Brazil have won their first six games. Neymar scoring goals almost every game. Brazil are way in front. They're like 10 points above third place. I would imagine they could possibly qualify for the World Cup by October or November. Probably not October. But they keep winning these games. Can you imagine? They don't have to worry about qualifying. Brazil and France. I want to see a game between those two at some point. France ripping through people ahead of the Euros. Brazil ripping through everyone and qualifying. That is your early World Cup final for 2022, but we have a long way to go. Before we get there, we have the Euros, and we will be talking about the Euros with Taylor Twelman coming up next here on the Soccer OG. We are back here on the Soccer OG. It's time for the business end, where a a national voice of our sport comes to challenge me in the in the business. <laughs> what do you think about that? I, I'd, I'd rather do it with beers or maybe a hot tea or something, Taylor. First off, first off, it was 12 years ago? 12 years ago when I first did, no, 11 years ago when I first did my first television show ever with you. And to think that I'm gonna challenge you, I can never challenge you, you knucklehead. You're the you OG, are, man. I'm just trying to follow your footsteps. I'm going, I'm like, I'm Logan Paul. I'm going for the, I'm going for the heavy hitters. I'm going for Mayweather. If I get whooped up in that ring, I don't care. By the way, I hate Logan Paul, so you can't be him. 
He got $20 million for that. I know. Was, I know. I'm just jealous. Maybe I'm jealous. I don't but know. It, it was crazy because it was happening at the same time as the nation. By the way, Taylor Twelman, as you probably know, the voice ESPN. We're going to have our little Euro preview. He's going to be real busy. He, I mean, you're just jumping from you did the USA Switzerland game. Fantastic yeah. call. I think I, I just want to point out you really identified the deficiencies for what we're talking about the U.S. because it wasn't really there. And it was the space behind the fullbacks. And I, I mean, you were like the first one I really said, look, there's, this is something. And it's even got to the point where the U.S. on Sunday night against Mexico played with the three center backs. That is a direct result of it. Wouldn't you say so? Yeah, I agree. And yet you and I would probably also agree that I'm not sure they addressed it against Mexico either, right? In, in the injury to Aaron Long, I think, is really handcuffing uh, Greg Berhalter because he's got the physical profile to cover in those gaps in the spaces. I think all of us would agree that maybe Tim Ream's time is, is, is at the end, and yet Greg likes that profile of a left-footed center back that can play there, his experience and whatnot, and yet I thought he was exposed with, with – uh, a lot of Mexico in that open space. They yeah. went after him every time. The Mexico, that's that's where they're, it's like the, and I don't want to pick on Tim Ream. He's been a great servant for this no, country. It's like anything. No, Max, but, but we're not picking on it. That's the one thing. Like, when you go up against France, you go up against Spain, or you go up against Venezuela, it doesn't matter. You try to pick the weakest link of the team. And for the United States, it is in transition, and it's in the space behind the fullbacks. Because quite honestly, Des doesn't want to defend. And John Brooks and none of the center backs are great in isolation, which is pretty much 85% of the world's center backs. Wouldn't you agree? Virgil van Dyke, Ruben Diaz. Okay, fine. They can, they, they're the anomalies. But most center backs, when they're isolated one for one, Max, they're exposed. The United States were exposed against Switzerland, and I still think they were exposed against Mexico. I'm a little worried now when I think about that. Yeah, the, the analogy I use when I was there at the game was that scene in The Water Boy. This is terrible to say. Where Great. they're doing the onside oh, kick. <laughs> <laughs> who, who am I going to kick it to? <laughs> that is the best. How many people would reference Waterboy for that? And that is actually on point. <laughs> you know, he looks around and goes, who's my, there he is. <laughs> That's what they did. And it's not, and I, I'll say this about Tim Reeve too. It's like, this is a younger generation. He's one of the few holdovers and you got to salute him for that because none of the older guys are still like Josie and yep. Michael Bradley, that group of players. It, it doesn't appear that, that Greg Berhold is going to lean into those guys anytime soon. No, at no all. you and I both know, right? Like World Cup qualifier, you never know. You know, like sure. he may need to call up on that generation. I will say in fairness to Tim Ream, it's also Tato Martino, who's very astute in recognizing Serginho Dest isn't going to defend there. And that's on the same side as Tim Ream. So it's not necessarily all Ream, but it definitely 100% was off his left shoulder. Well, it's, this is to protect Sergio Dest. And it's, he came out of that game early. And, you know, this was a guy that was like, you know, even Tata Martino said, this is a guy we have to slow down. He mentioned Reina, Pulisic, and Dest. But now Dest is a, is a, this is a legitimate situation because you've got to find a position. And if, if the pieces don't fit, then maybe he doesn't play. Is that far-fetched? Or? No, it's not, Max. No, it's not. And you've got to have the ability to make difficult decisions. At the highest level, we've seen some of the best players in club-level football. Look at Roy Mackay for the Netherlands, scored over 400-some-odd goals professionally and didn't go to a World Cup because he didn't fit into that team with Ruud van Nistelrooy right now. 
Sergio Dest, I think you've got to find a way to find him play because how many Americans can we say that are playing fullback at the highest level of Barcelona? Fine. But he's playing at Barcelona where they have possession 75% of the time. The United States isn't going to play that way. So you somehow have to find a way to defend. My man, Dest does not look like he wants to defend, wants nothing to do with it. <laughs> so you've got to find a way to figure that out. And, and Max, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's a real concern. I think there is a real good argument there to be had. There's a uh, – obviously there's there's going to be a talent upgrade in some of these positions, which are interesting, or if you go to the old guard. But it, it's fascinating. But at the end, they get this victory. Oh, by the way, uh, I don't know what they said there was going to be at that stadium, but there was about 60,000. That place, not many masks, I might add, but it felt like it was 2019. Max, I was like remember, walking around. I go, do we hit the hot tub time machine here? In fact, I think I was texting you during this because it was during everybody's at home during the quarantine. And then all of a sudden we have the MLS's back tournament and then college football kicks off. And you are very, very, very understanding and knowledgeable about other sports in this country, which is rare to say in the soccer world. And I remember texting you, I think it was Oklahoma, I think it was Bedlam. And I think it was Oklahoma State versus Oklahoma. And Sean McDonough's doing the on-camera, and he says, you're welcome, and they're at 25% capacity, and the camera shoots it. There's not an empty seat in the 90,000-seat stadium. <laughs> I don't mind it. Just don't, don't, don't be way off. Say 50%. No, no, agree. agree. I, don't, yeah. I don't mind either. It's fine, but don't come out. And say, <laughs> yeah. Like, it is what it is, dude. By the way, are we serious with the fans? Like throwing stuff? Yeah, I was, it was actually on? pretty good. And then that, but man, there was some nasty stuff they were throwing. There was like, I mean, you some guys had some arms, so they know what they're doing. These aren't just guys lofting it. They are throwing darts no, there was, people. There was, it was like rookie of the year. They tore their rotator cuff and could throw it now 60. But Max, they were throwing like hardcore. I, I just, that type of stuff, man, that I, I love so much of the, nuance of CONCACAF, of CONMEBOL. I love all of that. But, like, we're really trying to hurt the players now. Like, what, what's the point of it? Well, that? yeah, what goes through your mind when you say, this is what I want to accomplish? <laughs> it's, it's, I, don't, I don't get it, because you could really hurt somebody. It looked like, like those – it's like a water balloon fight, but yeah. much worse. It's like bang, 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 and fluids just popping. Who knows what's in that? And you know much better than I would. But uh, it's it, – it, it just – it created a moment. I will say that that's going to be a famous moment. Christian Pulisic will sit there and like Edzie's shushing the photo. You saw the photo where he's doing that. I mean, it's one of the better photos I've seen for U.S. soccer. Uh, so, you, you tweet was spot on, by the way. Would you call it Goodfellas? Goodfellas, because everyone's laughing like at the scene. Hey! <laughs> the problem is the problem is uh, <laughs> Claudio Giovanni Reina literally got hit in the head like eight seconds later. Yeah, I'm like, well, well what's the point of this? Are you optimistic, though? Are you optimistic after this result? I mean, it was a good response. Mexico have issues. We have issues, obviously, but as it sets everyone the table. Everyone does, Max. Max, I think you do a real good job of having some nuance to your analysis and criticism. And what I mean by that is you're well-versed. You're watching games all around the world. Max, they, people expect, like, the national teams to come together. France tied Liechtenstein in European qualifying. Right? Like, let's just leave that at that. The best team in the world, arguably, I think there's a real good argument. You could say the French are the best team in the world. They tie Liechtenstein and qualify. It happens. You're not going to bring in players and have this certain style of play 
the, you know, that's where the criticism goes too far for me. Now, the system, the formation, and putting players in position to succeed, that's always, that always should be criticized because it, you're putting square pegs in round holes. Am I optimistic? Yes, because that is a old-fashioned type of win in the sense where you got to actually like dig that. deep. And it's not pretty. It's not pretty at all, but you got to win. Find a way to win. They were down two goals. They gifted one of them. They were lucky that the second one was called offside. He, he was offside, but it was some of the worst defending and marking we've ever seen. And that allowed them to get back into it. You fight back from two, two deficits. You get a result. You win the game. That builds camaraderie for a very young group. That's the optimism I have. But again, it's resting on a goalkeeper standing on his head again, Max. Listen, you're, you're going to have to win games at the international level against the best teams in the world. You know this better than anyone. You've been doing this longer than me. The United States is going to have to have a goalkeeper come up big. We get that. But does it need to be four, five, six times? Can it be one or two times, which is a normal time? That's where Ethan Horvath's you know, performance to me, I'm still like, it's kind of set pieces dominated and a goalkeeper stood on his head. It's a little nostalgia for all American fans. The goalkeeper situation is fascinating because yeah, I mean, maybe there's a, a new competition swirling. We'll have to see it with the situation with Zach. Stefan B has time. They have to clear this game. They have the friendly against Costa Rica, but the next competitive you run we'll see in all likelihood you've probably. You've challenged Zach Stefan. You've challenged Zach Stefan. You're one of the few people that have challenged it, and you should own that because I think you're right. Well, this you mentioned Serginho Des plays at Barcelona where they're going forward. He's not used to defending. Zach Steffen, when he does play for Man City, he's, he sees a shot. And now, to your point, you, you're going to see five, six shots. It's a different animal. Is he capable of that? Absolutely. But you need to experience it. And I don't know if he even experienced it last night because he was on the sideline at the end. But that's a whole new thing for Zach Steffen. That's why you may want to see him go for a place where they're just going to be shelled, where he has to save and save, at least play. Absolutely. Go on loan, play somewhere. But look at the FA Cup semifinal, Max. He made a bonehead decision coming off his line, completely no man's land. They lose the game 1-0. I mean, Manchester City, you're not going to get tested. You're not. Now, if I was Zach Steffen, and I'm being told you're going to back up going into a World Cup and World Cup qualifying, I think I'm going in there saying, you know what, give me a six-month loan. Yep. Send me send me to Holland, where you know you're <laughs> I'm going to be tested. It's a shooting gallery. Yeah, like, dude, there is a valuable, valuable point there because goalkeepers are a rare breed. You do not need to be playing at the highest, highest level as the United States have proven this time and time again. Your goalie's just got to be confident, in form, and the ability to do anything at any given moment. And that only comes from playing. That only comes Thank from you. playing. And I think Zach Steffen, I, I, you've just been on, you've been on the Zach Steffen thing from the beginning Many of us from on the side have always been reluctant, mainly because Burhalter and Stefan have been together since Columbus. But I think last night, couldn't agree with you more. I could not agree with you more. Horvath, need, and by the way, Horvath needs to play games. He can't be a backup right. either. And Stefan played well in the semi, but he had that one mistake. And one mistake in the Honduras game, which is scoreless heading into stoppage time or the 89th minute, knocks you out of this. And you don't have Mexico. Yeah, even the first Mexico goal, I know it's gifted, you want your world-class goalkeeper to maybe get a touch on that. Yeah. Right? Right. Great, Taylor. Now I'm you worried sick. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I was feeling good. I'm feeling good. I feel hungover now.
I'm the worst. I'm let's the worst. Uh, let's let's switch your focus to the Euros. And I know I don't we can't obviously do a comprehensive coverage, but we'll go with some broad strokes about the competition, yep. which really I mean, I remember when I was at Fox and we covered it, it was on pay-per-view. Yeah, no one really knew about it. The Euros. So my first time watching soccer. Yep. It was World Cups. It was the 90 World Cup a little bit. And then the 94 World Cup, obviously, where I I've, I've really entrenched into the sport. But before that was the 92 Euros, which it was on some local channels. And I was I was intrigued by the sport. And I was like, what is this? Why these national teams? This isn't a World Cup, but it was that Denmark, Peter Schmeichel team that got entry because Yugoslavia was kicked out of the tournament. And then they went on and went, won it. They beat uh, they beat the Germans in the final. They beat, who do they beat? All the Dutch in the semifinals. It was an incredible story, the, the, the massive underdogs. And I was like, I'm hooked. Yeah. So we kind of saw it happened again when we had it, it with the Greeks, which yeah. was 2004, which was unbelievable. And then those two stories, you don't see that at the World Cup. You don't see these outsiders win no. it. And by the way, your campaign at ESPN, I love it. Euros <laughs> greater than everything. I love it because... You don't see blowouts. You see teams that, are, and it all spells it out in the campaign. You see teams that are familiar with each other. So there's no caginess. There's no, there's going to be defensive tactics. There's going to be low blocks, but maybe less, which we could open up a little bit. So I love that campaign, but I also love this tournament because by and large, you're going to see things go against the grain. Iceland last time out. You would see, which is kind of, kind of weird to, to grasp because you figure all those great European teams will emerge and win it. But, you know, Wales in the semifinal, it's, it, it, it provides more surprises than other competitions. And to me, that's a great draw. And because of the familiarity, which has been pointed out in the campaign, you're going to have, we don't know. I'm, that's why I'm not going to ask for predictions. You may have a few teams, you're like, it's impossible for predictions because of what Portugal did four years ago, finishing third, which that could happen again. Yeah, and that's the but that's a bummer. My first major tournament in broadcasting was sitting next to you and along with others at the Europe, the Euros in 2012. And I remember that year, kind of everyone looking around going, oh, Spain, it's Spain's to lose. This is the golden generation of Spain. They've won 08, they won the World Cup. Every single player is returned. They're naturally going to win that. Now, Italy surprised a few people. Remember, Balotelli went off and then also yes. the final, right? And you and I were like, I remember watching the games, a little surprised that Balotelli had made that run in Italy because Germany was now coming up and whatnot. But Max, when they changed it from 16 to 24 teams, now, now you're asking for a little bit more of a crapshoot. Portugal won the European Championships in 2016 without winning a game till the final. They That's tied cool. all their games in group stage and then literally win in penalties. <laughs> And so when you look at everything like that, then you sit there and say, wow, so what does that look like? I also think, Max, to stay with this theme of dark horses and what's going to come out, it's coming after a pandemic season where these most of these players have played 65 games over 16 months, bro. And I think there's going to be tired legs. There's five substitutes still. I think you're going to get a games, games that could be wide open. The fact that Turkey only gave up three goals in qualifying – there's a dark horse now because that's postponed a year turkey was going to miss their four best players due to injury last summer they canceled a tournament all four players are now healthy they something's going to happen that i can't predict you can't predict but it also makes the tournament that much more fun watching because 
I get it. I hate the third place qualification. I can't stand it. I don't even care if it's our right. I 16 the best tournament in the world. Yet now all of a sudden the knockout stage, you are going to get a Wales. You are going to get a Portugal that surprises people the way they did in 16. And Turkey may be one of those just to give you one. But a lot something's going to happen where you and I are like, really? How did that happen? Maybe Scotland. Huh? No chance. Zero chance. I, I, I was looking... <laughs> I was doing a deeper dive. I was like, maybe it's the, the Craig Burley, Steve Nickel aura around me that we all feel, it, whether you work at ESPN or you worked at ESPN, but they got some players and a lot of English-based players. I, it's a tough group, but I... Uh. It's a tough group, but they could literally draw all three games to get through. So oh. I'm actually not going to squash your idea. Like, they could literally find a way to get three points, and because they didn't give up a ton of goals, Max, you're right. Then they're, if they get out of the group, that's an accomplishment in itself. And again, we, we have to steer clear of predictions because we don't know, but I like that turkey shout because of the defense, because of Yilmaz, who had this great season, the old man who's going to get him some goals. He just may need to get a couple, and he's the kind of guy who could do that. He doesn't need to score eight goals in the tournament. He Absolutely. gets a few, and but they'll the find favorites, a way. If you're putting money on it, Max, the favorite's France. The moment they said yes to Benzema, everybody was like, okay. Like, we had a chance beating him when it's Giroud up front. No, we don't. I mean, honestly, you you give me a better attacking four in the world, a five. I don't think you can. France is the favorite. Yep. 450, plus 450. I don't know about the gambling stuff. I got to learn a little bit more because obviously you've got to get up to speed, dude. Come on. Plus 450, plus 500 for England because we know the English will have that confidence and that those dreams and the betters are there in force. Then the Belgians. I saw Croatia at 3,300, which I, I don't really like them, but that's. Maybe a small bet on a little a team that made a World right. Cup final. Right. Like to your point, Max, you got 20 bucks, 50 bucks. Yeah, why not? Yeah. I don't see what we saw in the World Cup in Russia. I don't see that from Croatia at all. I don't. Neither do uh, I. They, they don't have enough up front. Um, Luka Modric is 75 years old and still playing at a high level, but like still, man, like really. But the England one, I think, is a little too high. I, all right, that's cold. the one I would not touch. Everything else I might give a sniff. That one's okay. too. England, dude, if Harry Maguire's not healthy, who are your two center backs? And now and they now like, have to play three. Because they like to play, yeah, three guys. So that, that would force them to change uh, tactically because you're not yeah, going to put a, not an unproven huge, center back in there. Agreed. I'm not a huge England fan on this one. I think Harry Maguire's health and fitness is a massive, massive hurdle for them. And we should say this, and I agree with you, but we're not saying that in, because we want to, because yeah. it, the England, it's going to be overbearing. We know it and go, here we go. Let's like the World Cup. Bring it on home, whatever the, whatever the catchphrase. It's coming home. I mean, we're, we're going to hear that. But, uh, but I just think it's, it's stacked a little against them. And timing, like you said, timing for the Turks is great. Maybe not so great for the English. I want to go back. The 2014 tournament, when it happened, a lot of pushback, including myself. I was like, well, yeah. it's perfect at 16. You have these great stories. But last edition was the first 2014. There was some stinkers in games there, but not as many as I thought. And then I look at this field, and maybe I'm just wired like everything looks good to me, which is probably the case. I don't see a lot of bad games. Unless you the games, I'll skip that one. I go, no, I may have to see that one because it obviously it has added weight because as a third-place team, you can make it. I think it's uh, it has – <laughs> It has potential moving forward. I know they'll probably go to 32 at some point, but there's some good European teams that aren't in here that you could probably fill in, like the Irish or, or, or 
even Iceland, you know, you put them in there. People want to see it. It's uh, Norway. You could almost, I think that 32 might happen. I don't know what that means for the World Cup. We know it's going to be 48, but this, it just keeps growing. I don't want it to grow too much, but 24 kind of eased in better than I thought it would. Yeah, I mean, it, it did. I just love qualifying, Max. You, you, you are one of the, you know, people that I watched and just kind of influenced me understanding the importance of qualifying. Does that make any sense? Like, sure. Like you, Alexi, when I first started, like there was something about, you know, a Tuesday and a Wednesday in the middle of the week when I didn't remember or think that there were massive games going on. And then you would say, no, no, no. There's a Argentina's playing Colombia. And you're like, oh my God, not the European qualifying at 16 teams was ruthless. Now to your point, it should have been like 22, right? If they were doing the right number for the quality of the quality, should be around 20 to 22 qualifying still stays the same 24 is a little too much but max hell it, it now means that you get the knockout round games you're going to give a team a little bit of a buy like a portugal that didn't win a game in the group stage and then they can go on a run so it gives you a little bit more romance and you know me i hate love um but yeah dude, i like did not know that <laughs> <laughs> I, thought you're, I thought you're that starry-eyed emoji you're like <laughs> i used to be max i used to be but now i'm scarred i've been in northeast for 20 yeah. years so if you had a 22 team tournament you would probably have it where like 12 make the knockouts and you have some buys or something which would yeah. make sense yeah. okay yeah something like that but i think to your point like 32 is too much 24 is i think still too much but 16 was too little but anyways it's it's all for the money and i'm and whatever we're in it yeah, with 16, you don't get Scotland, you don't get North Macedonia, yeah. which we have to remember. What have you have you got any background? Because I mean, people say Macedonia. I'm mean, I'm terrified to say Macedonia. I mean, it goes to North Macedonia, but there isn't a Macedonia. It's North Macedonia. Yeah, not- Max, I, I it's I was doing some research. I'm not doing any of those games as of now. Um, I may do a little studio for those, but when you start to do research, you're like, it's actually like it, it's a, it's more of a history lesson for me than a than a soccer lesson because I'm like, what? What? I remember when I tweeted, I go, I'm calling Holland, Holland. And you're going, you, you, he's tweeting us, well, it's technically not all of the Netherlands. And I go, all right, never mind. So this Holland's out. No more Holland. Max, Max, it was the 2014 World Cup. And I'm on the desk <laughs> with Ruud Van Nistelrooy. And I go, well, Holland, and after we go to commercial, he looks at me, he goes, you know, you're only talking about like one eighth of the country. And I'm like, what? My family's Dutch. Like, my uncle called it Holland his whole life. And he goes, where was he born? I told him where he goes, because that's in Holland. There's a little bit of it. And I was like, I had no idea. So now I'm like, Netherlands, 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 Netherlands. I can't even get it in my vernacular. It's funny you say that, Van Nistelrooy. I don't remember what Euros, but Rude Hulet was there. So I go, Rude, big fan. No, I know hey, I, like, we spoke a couple of times with the Galaxy. So how do you say your last name? And he goes, doesn't matter anyway. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Hulet? He goes, sure. Gullet. Okay. I go, please. <laughs> give me something <laughs> he went through every stop sign i go i went galit okay <laughs> it kind of sounds like the way everyone's butchering christian Polisic's name yeah oh, oh buddy whatever hey whatever the player says whatever the player says bingo bingo that Max, you know this better you told me this a long long time ago if a player's last name is johnson and he says call him johnny yeah call him johnny yeah it's like going to it's it's like going to Mike Golick and go Mike Golich, Mike Golich Jr. 
can't I do that. I want to do that now to those two. That'd be kind of funny. Do it. Do it. So just with the with the, the, the groups, the 24 teams, somehow with a 24-team field, the Euros have put together a group that you, you probably don't even have to argue that hard is the most challenging group <laughs> in the history of major competition. I don't know how this came about, but they have a group mm-hmm. with France, Germany, Portugal, who all are in that top line of favorites, and Hungary, who unfortunately just lost their best player, Schoberschlei, who is out. They have some games at home, but I don't know if that's going to help them. I think Hungary can complicate it, but one of those three teams isn't going to make the round of 16. I know there's 16 at 24 teams, but when they're playing each other and if someone has a bad patch and you can't have a bad patch against France, or I feel it might be the Germans, but who knows? Maybe it's the French. Maybe they get a whatever. That's a, that's a nasty group. I think one of those big three, France, Germany, Portugal, one of them may not make the sweet, the sweet 16, the yeah, final 16. I didn't think they may not. However, I'd be shocked if they don't, and here's why. Three points get you through as long as you score a ton of goals. So, so they got the goals. They'll score. Yeah. But against each that, other. Right. Bingo. Bingo. That's the thing, Max. And then the hungry game becomes the kicker. And so this is literally Portugal all over again in 2016. So I, I kind of wish it was only two teams because that group would be legit. Now, granted, it would be those three teams in a bracket if it was two qualifiers because of the way qualifying and the wrong put out. But anyway – it's going to be a blast. I'm doing about, I'm doing four of the six games. Uh, that group is going to be heavily focused in, in my schedule. And I look forward to all of them because I think this is Portugal's best team they've ever had. And I'll argue with anyone with that golden generation uh, uh, of Rui Costa and Figo and whatnot. Max, this team, this team, you've got arguably the greatest goal scorer in Cristiano Ronaldo, who's gotten better with age at just scoring goals regarding the national team. And then your best players are now your attacking players in wide areas. Now, the problem for them is Pepe. Pepe's 37, right? So he's now a wild card. And so if you don't have that, then it's funked at 36 years old. So center back's a little bit of an issue. But, Max, they've got six or seven quality attackers. And as long as Ronaldo is healthy and firing, he doesn't need to defend. He doesn't really need to be that mobile. He's just got to be finishing the plays off of Jal Felix, Jolta, and everybody else. Max, I like Portugal a lot. I, I like really- them too. The only reason, and it's a small one, is what we've talked about with the U.S. team. Cristiano Ronaldo, you obviously can't push him aside to allow the young players to express themselves. But he's yep. a big personality in that Portuguese camp. Maybe it's a good thing because everyone's going to talk Ronaldo and the other players can do their thing. Yeah. But I, I wonder, and you have good experience that being a player, when someone's a big personality, everyone's does that have a detrimental effect? Especially a guy, maybe his last Euros, especially, I wouldn't say it's his last, it would be his last, but with the talent behind him, it's going to push him. Uh, he deserved to be on this squad because of what he did this season and last season. He's, he's tremendous, but sometimes that doesn't always work out well, right? I mean, the, the, the old guard with all the new players, although even though there's a crossover with Pepe and Bernardo Silva and a bunch of those guys, and they are the reigning champs, and they have to have that swagger. And that's a small criticism, but that's the only thing I can come up with. <laughs> no, in Max 2016, he debunked all those theories. He gets injured. He has to come out of the final. He's on the sideline. He's more demonstrative than Fernando Santos. He's more engaging. He's literally arguing with players to step like he, he showed some real leadership there that I don't think we've ever seen. And then they go on after that and win the nation's league, the inaugural nations league. Yeah. Title. So 
Max, Max, I'm going to give you a nugget, though, because I think your listeners will appreciate. Since he's turned 30, he's got 50 goals and 52 caps. He had something along the lines of 20 goals in the 100 caps before that. Think of that. So he's literally become just a goal scorer the older he's gotten. And now it's all on Fernando Santos to make sure that he puts the right pieces around that. Max, I think Ronaldo, the attention-seeking mentality, personality, all of that that he is, is a breath of fresh air for this team because they've been used to it for the last 10 to 12 years with him. So I don't think it's anything new. Sure. And I do it. He overcomes that. And he's always impressed me how he's adapted, where I think Lionel Messi has not, where he's adapted his game and he's done things which has allowed him to make the breakthrough internationally. And maybe Messi is in the process of that, but I haven't seen it like I've seen it Ronaldo. But Ronaldo is a singular No, sensation. but wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree with me, though, that Ronaldo's supporting cast for Portugal has been better than Argentina's in the last Of course, yes. Without, although the Argentine squad is getting a little better, but still there's some guys who are like, who, who's Rodrigo de Paul? Who, <laughs> <laughs> who are these guys? Plays I mean, for Lanús. I've never heard of them. 18 the world cup in 18 i had to literally google for their starters i was like well, what what are they thinking like that's their team was, was it was it christian pavone of the galaxy alongside him in those games we never heard of him at all no and he was he was one of the bright spots but yeah. you were looking at it going oh dear lord no chance what okay let's what are you looking forward to because there's just so many good things and I, I know i like to see this some teams i don't want to say surprise packets but you mentioned turkey because i think turkey's a a team that could make a semifinal, make a final if they, if, and we, again, we got to stay away from the predictions because we just don't know. We don't know what side of the bracket they're going to start. You got to have a favorable run. Even if you win your group, you might run into a third place, Portugal or Germany. Exactly. <laughs> but exactly. I mean, that, that, another one I like is the Swedes based on what they had on the world cup. Zlatan Ibrahimovic not on the team. And uh, they have, Isak, who's the next Zlatan, so to speak, and yeah. Kulisevsky, who are the good young attacking players. And behind them, it's like these mid-30-year-old guys that defend and have that spirit. Yep. I love what they did in the World Cup. They almost made a semifinal. They, yep. they won their group with Germany and Mexico. And then the other one is Austria. And I'm, more than anything, I'm looking forward to hearing Derek Ray go, Austria, <laughs> the Amsterdam Arena. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. I saw him tweet. He goes, I have all the Austria games. And I got all excited because I know he's going to give it. Uh, he's going to get because he said all the games, all the players are from the Bundesliga. Which is have, a very yeah, interesting, it's, a, it's an interesting one, Max. Yeah. Your point. That's and a good, good group. Yep. So they have Alaba. They have Sabitzer, the guys that we've seen in the Champions League, which we didn't see from Austria. Uh, I think those, I mean, Austria could be a quarterfinalist. Sweden could be a semifinalist. Turkey could be there. So the, that group of teams that could stir up the pot and break away from the elites, France, Portugal, obviously Belgium, who's going to have a lot of pressure because it feels like this window, they'll have this in the World yeah. Cup and that window got to be shut for that group. Yep, couldn't agree with you more. I, I think Roberto Martinez knows this group deserves, deserves is the wrong word, this group, this group has to be in a final. And I think he understands that. Now, whether or not that window is closing with this Euros and the World Cup coming up, you know, next winter, I don't, I don't know. Like, it, but I think Roberto Martinez knows that um, Belgium has pressure. You know, Sweden's an interesting one, right? Because they have real good quality attacking players, and yet it's in their nature to be very pragmatic. 
and to be. I like I like pragmatic in a tournament like this. I do, but I honestly think you throw a massive wrinkle if you go into that first game and you see a completely different Swedish team. Which, by the way, the Italians are going to surprise some people because the uh, Italians we know, are used to four four two sit in there and the, Roberto Mancini's come in and said, mm, I don't know, we're going to do something different. Now they don't have a goal, they don't have an out and out international world class number nine, so that's their caveat. However, that team's good defensively; they can score a ton of goals. Sweden's an interesting one. If I'm Sweden, knows a lot of time there, and you mentioned a couple of the good attacking players that they have, roll the dice. Roll the dice and play on the front foot. Just see, because you're going to surprise some people. Um, Austria, is the, Austria is the biggest question mark for me because I feel like they have never lived up to the pedigree of where their players are playing. So like Derek Ray says, over 20-some-odd players are playing in the Bundesliga, fine, but they've never really lived up to that. They really haven't, Max. And they have the group that they'll have the Dutch. North Macedonia. I think they fall flat on their face. The Netherlands. Yep, I do. I'm not feeling, I mean, I was I was hoping they'd have some momentum. And I'm like, eh, I like this guy's a little better. I like I what you said. Uh-uh. And, and you talk about not having a score. I mean, they have Memphis Depay, but they don't have. No, it's, it's, defensively, don't. it looks better, but they're not there. No, they needed Van Dyke to recover from the ACL. Him not recovering kills them because they are a type of team with Van Dyke in in that kind of system where you could then pull a run like Portugal did in 2016, because your defense is that stout, but they don't have an out out goal score either. And no Van Dyke and Frank DeBoer, who is literally the cooler max, anything he touches literally freezes, loses all life. They stop having fun. Everyone looks like they're bored out of their mind. He look at what Netherlands have done since he's taken over. It's hard. It's hard not to say Holland, isn't it? It's hard not oh to my God, it's so hard to say Holland. <laughs> it's inaccurate. Taylor, it's not right. I love gold. <laughs> oh, that's good fun, dude. I like what you, it's, you know what I like about the Italians? And I think the U.S. will experience this and Chile and, uh, well, not making the World Cup and how hugely disappointing it is and how you had to hit the reset button. You had to look at it and say, we've got to fix this. We're going to let the kids play. We're going to get them that opportunity. And there it is. Well, so you, I, the cycle is very real. Yes. Netherlands. They went to the Nations League final, right? Right after. So they, they've turned the corner. Now, obviously, Van Dyke being injured is a huge one. I couldn't agree with you more. I think Italy missing the World Cup for the first time in, what was it, 60-some-odd years. I think that is going to rejuvenate. And that's that nation and those players, they sing the national anthem better than arguably any collection of players. There's a passion there. They're young while still having Chiellini and Bonucci involved. I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be a fun team to watch. You got me excited for something that I didn't, I completely forgot. And it's the singing of the anthems, which is the best uh, obviously, the, the Germans, the, the anthems that you know because you hear them so often, La, La Marseillaise of the French, and obviously the Fratelli d'Italia of the Italians, and, and then also the fans. So I've seen it. Some stadiums will have 20%, 25%, some 50 some more. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So it's going to be interesting to see what it looks like. But because of this, you know, uniqueness and absurdness of trying to host this in 11 countries, Max, you just – you're subject to, that's why we're not traveling for the group stage. 
So Max, when they in the middle of April said no team, no announcers can go from country to country, then ESPN looked at it and said, "Well, what? Do, uh, we can't station, you know, eleven teams in eleven countries. So we, so that's why we stopped, and we're going to travel for quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals. But Max, this thing, unfortunately, you know, in Europe, COVID's still a massive, massive issue because vaccine vaccinations haven't been." as easily accessible as they have been here. Do you think it, it, at some point they probably should have considered a little bit more of downsizing? I would have done three nations, three that border each other. So then you could have quarantined the athletes and everyone could have been in there. You know what I mean? But they, they wanted to, you know, UEFA stuck to their guns. They wanted to celebrate the European championships this way and doing it that way. And you sit there and say, I, I respect it. I'm not going to argue it. But on the other hand, you know what I mean? You're, you're trying to celebrate that. I think it's the 60th, 60 years of Euros, right? And so, because the first still a baby, one, still a baby of a tournament. Yeah. The first <laughs> one was what, 1960? Yeah. Yeah. So it's the 16th edition. So they've been able, and this thing has grown. I mean, it was, it was kind of a blip. And then well, right. obviously we mentioned the Denmark, and then in 2000, it just blew up. And the coverage here, I mean, what ESPN has done is put it almost on a level. Of yes, that. And yeah. that's fantastic for everyone who's there. And I was I, the, t- the work I was able to put in there, I was very proud of, but everyone who's done that there, it's in a short time have made this, you know, it was a, again, a tournament. A lot of people didn't want to sh- televise. No, no. And so you wait Which is for crazy when you think about it now, same with all these other properties. It's absurd. it's absurd. It's literally absurd because you think about it. It's a, it's a fantastic tournament. So they wanted to celebrate the 80 years, Max. I get it. But when a pandemic comes in, I think you got to be, I just think they could have made it a little easier on themselves saying, let's do three countries, all three are bordering each other and let's go this way. But no. And um, I think when the semifinal, I think when the quarterfinals come around, Max, I think we'll then say, okay, we kind of get it. Cause oh, we're you know, into I'll it. be in Munich. Other teams will be in Rome. And then all of a sudden you're moving, getting to Wembley. Then I think it's kind of cool. And in that sense, when we host a world cup, Yep. we have about the same landmass, so it'll have that feeling that doesn't diminish it because we're in the united states we just got to kind of blur the blur yeah. the borders a bit so to speak <laughs> taylor 12 and that was fantastic so the coverage starts friday and you got to be pumped because i see games on abc it's a second screen treatments this is going to be a euros like none other yeah uh june 9th we have u.s costa rica on espn2 then there's a europe euro preview right after that and then Kicks off June 11th, Friday, 3 o'clock, Turkey, Italy. Taylor, fantastic joining you, man. You made me laugh. I, I enjoy our time. I miss you, and I hope to see you. And have a, great comp- have a great tournament, man. The entire crew, great peeps covering it. Yeah, I miss you too, buddy. And I'll wear pants next time we do that. Uh, <laughs> Never! <laughs> Taylor 12, enjoy to be in the business, and he kicked my tail as expected. Uh, we will come back here with stoppage time with memories of the Euros. That's next here on the Soccer OG. And we are back. Time now for stoppage time. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Taylor. He's an incredible resource for the sport. And he's just a fun guy. I really appreciate it. And the guy is a hard worker, man. In order to get in this industry, and he won't say it, you've obviously got to have the chops. He was a former player of, of some fame, a guy who represented our country. But once you get into this business, you have got to do the work. 
You've got to present ideas. You've got to network. You've got to schmooze, all of that. And he does it better than just about anyone. So uh, more power to him and all the success moving forward. But as we were talking about the Euros, and I'm, I'm envious because I wish I could be there covering it for him. I was with ESPN. I covered the last two Euros, and it's an incredible event. And in many ways, is better than the World Cup. Now, hear me out. There are things that happen in the Euros. Obviously, you don't have the world's attention, although in many ways you do, because if you think folks in Asia and Africa and the Americas, South and North, aren't tuning in to see this, then you're crazy, because they all watch the European leagues and know these guys. But I'm going to start with the World Cup. This is a competition that started in 1930, and we had our most recent edition in 2018. That is a run of... 21 World Cups. Do you know how many teams have won World Cups in that duration? There have been eight. Eight champions. Which is fine. But it's it, when you're talking the World Cup, you would figure that'd be a little bit different at the end. But the cream rises to the top. Germany, Brazil, France, Spain recently. Uruguay back in the day, but still good again. The Italians, Argentina, and England. So those are the eight teams that have won it. The European Championships began in 1960. So that is 15 editions. We're going to have the 16th edition coming up next week or this week. In those 15 editions, we have had 10 different winners. So 21 editions of the World Cup, eight different winners, 15 editions in the Euros, 10 winners. It's almost a different winner every time. USSR, Spain, Italy, Germany, the Czech, Czechoslovakia, France, Netherlands, Denmark, Denmark, Greece, Portugal. This is a wide open tournament and it always is. And it's always adept to having those surprise stories that in World Cup, we have those surprise stories like Cameroon in 1990, Senegal in 1998, uh, Ghana, uh, the United States, uh, the Korea in 2002, but they never get the finish line. They get to the finish line in the Euros. Look at Denmark and Greece. And we talked about what the Danes did. and Just the historical significance to all these tournaments make it so special. I want to run through what's made them so special to me. 1988, the Netherlands won with one of the, the greatest teams of all time, Ruud Hullet, Marco van Basten, Ronald Koeman, Frank Rijkaard. I sound like gold member. I love gold. I used that joke twice on the pod. I'm sorry. But that was an incredible team. 1992 is the first time I saw this competition. And then there was a there was a war in Yugoslavia. And the country of Yugoslavia became several countries. And they had to step aside. Denmark comes in, as I talked about it with um, Taylor. And they win it. It's stunning. They beat the Netherlands, the reigning champs, and then the Germans on their way to the trophy. That's not supposed to happen. Denmark's never reached a final in the World Cup or a semifinal, but they won the Euros at one time. 1996, Germany won. The Czech Republic made the final. The Czech Czechoslovakia was dissolved uh, just a couple years prior, I believe. I can't read my handwriting, I'm sorry. And in 1996, the Czechs, without the aids of the Slovaks, made the final, and they had a team with Karol Poborski, Patrick Berger, uh, Jan Novotny, Vlad Smitzer, Kadlich. It was an incredible team, and they're so fun to watch. And I was like, I was in. They almost won it, although the Germans proved to be too good in the end. 2000, 
maybe the best competition of the bunch. Uh, certainly the best semifinals. The semis had France, Portugal, Italy versus the Netherlands. France beat Italy. Golden goal. Credible goal by David Trezeguet. Part of many great goals that we've seen in the Euros. France wins the Euros after winning the World Cup in 98. First team to do that. Spain would do it uh, about a decade later. Uh, I mean, the players in that final for France and Italy. 2004, perhaps the greatest story ever told. The Greeks make it and only their second Euro ever. They make it uh, second in the groups. They finished behind Portugal. They lost to Russia in the final group game and had to sweat out making the quarterfinals. Then they get in the quarterfinals. They beat France. They beat each team by the same situation. 1-0 for the French. 1-0 over the Czechs, who were still loaded with great talent. And many thought they could win it. And then they beat Cristiano Ronaldo, denying him the trophy in the final. That's where we heard of Angelo Caristeas. It wasn't pretty for the Greeks, but you got on board of this because you're wondering how they are doing this. This was witchcraft. 2008-2012, we put them together. Back-to-back triumphs for Spain, making this a team that you had to watch. They won the World Cup in between it. So obviously 2012, you're looking for history that I don't think will ever be repeated, winning three major competitions. 2016, Cristiano Ronaldo breaks through. Portugal finished third in their group, come through the back door, go all the way and win it. An incredible moment to see Cristiano Ronaldo holding that trophy that has eluded him, and it's complete. He's going for the World Cup, certainly in 2022. That same World, that same European Championship we had, Wales make a semifinal. Unheard of. Wales is a rugby country. They shouldn't be making Euro semis, but they did. Iceland making the quarterfinals. This is how big that Iceland result. So I'm at ESPN. And, you know, it's an uphill climb to talk soccer there. And the Iceland story happens. They beat England and they move on to the quarters. Everyone at ESPN went bananas. How do I know that? They sent Marty Smith, who was the NASCAR reporter who's become a big personality. They sent Marty Smith to Reykjavik to talk to the locals. That's when I said, this is one of those three or four moments where soccer has completely embedded itself at ESPN. Marty Smith and Reykjavik. The goals through the years. The David Trezeguet uh, golden goal against Italy. Uh, Mario Balotelli in 2012. Two goals for Italy against the favorite Germans. It was uh, an incredible uh, event to see him grab that tournament and have his moment. Zlatan, 2004, a goal that you have to see. Go check him on YouTube. It was against the Italians. Truly remarkable. And we keep seeing these great moments. And we're going to see them again. So enjoy the Euros. Because it really is the best competition. There's no bad games. There's no bad teams. You don't know what to expect. If you're a gambler, put some money on the outsiders because you might be laughing at the end. It's that kind of tournament. I love it. Can't wait to see it. Friday, it all kicks off with the Italians and the Turks. Bring it on, baby. This is the Soccer OG. Let's keep it going, folks. We have a huge summer in store. Download, subscribe to the pod. Please rate and review. Leave a note. Tell me how I can improve it or just tell me how great it is. I'll take either or. We'll get together very soon. Have a great weekend. Placido Domingo, everybody. Thank you.